pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Many know that President John F. Kennedy suffered from low back pain. This was common knowledge at the time and was attributed to injuries he sustained in World War II. Yet, Kennedy's medical history was far more serious and complex. In fact, his health was a closely guarded secret. It wasn't until the release of his medical records in 2002 that the public became aware of his lifelong struggle with pain. JFK was probably born with an autoimmune disease called Schmitz syndrome, leading to osteoporosis, nerve pain, arthritic pain, and muscular pain. Nevertheless, his accomplishments were extraordinary, given a life of persistent pain, and his triumphs convey great hope, promise, and an expectation that life can get better with treatment. We're fortunate to have Dr. Robert Dalek and Dr. Forrest Tennant as guests for this two-part series on the story of JFK's pain. We'll first hear from Robert Dalek, noted historian, Pulitzer Prize finalist, Bancroft Prize winner, and author of An Unfinished Life, John F. Kennedy, 1917-1963. He'll give us a closer look at Kennedy's personal life, health, and legacy. In the second part of the show, Dr. Forrest Tennant, pain specialist and addictionologist, reveals JFK's struggle with a life of discomfort and the therapies that got him through the presidency. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Mylan Pharmaceuticals, Purdue Pharma, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Horizon Pharma, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. Robert Dalek is author of An Unfinished Life, John F. Kennedy, 1917-1963. His new book, Camelot's Court, Inside the Kennedy White House, will be published this year. He was a Pulitzer Prize finalist for his book on Nixon and Kissinger. Dr. Dalek is an elected fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences and of the Society of American Historians. He currently serves as a visiting professor at Stanford University in Washington, D.C. Dr. Dalek, welcome to Aches and Gains. Uh, pleasure to be with you. Uh, Bob, give us a sneak preview of your soon-to-be-published book. Well, I've done a book called uh, Camelot's Court Inside the Kennedy White House. It's about Kennedy and his advisors. And I hope it, uh, because looking at uh, a president in uh, the interactions with uh, principal advisors during crises, and uh, they went through so many crises over Cuba, over Vietnam, over Berlin, over uh, civil rights, uh, it, it, it tells you something about not just the character, but uh, the thinking and the uh, uh, political astuteness of uh, a president. And uh, I think 
looking at Kennedy with the, through the eyes of his advisors and through these interactions with the advisors uh, adds a dimension to uh, our understanding of, uh, of the man. Exactly. It sounds like a fascinating and new perspective on JFK. Uh, in, in speaking of JFK, did you know him or any of his family members? No, I never uh, met J- JFK, but uh, after I published my book, I did get to know uh, Ted Kennedy. Uh-huh. And uh, he was uh, enthusiastic about the book, and he actually it's, uh, was so interesting to me that uh, he did not know all that much about his brother's medical condition. Hmm. And I think he uh, learned a bit about uh, it from uh, reading my book. That's sort of astonishing. I mean, I would have thought that all of the Kennedy brothers and sisters would have been aware of his medical condition. Well, remember that, that Ted Kennedy was so much younger than uh, than John Kennedy, and uh, the one who knew was uh, Robert Kennedy, uh-huh. and of course the uh, the parents knew, and of course Jacqueline Kennedy knew, but uh, it, it was part of the effort to uh, keep as uh, quiet as possible the extent to which uh, Kennedy struggled with his. Uh, health issues, because from early on in his life, uh, when this began, uh, his father said nothing good can come of uh, people knowing about uh, Jack's health problems. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, today, Bob, we know that Kennedy lived with pain. I mean, he had muscular pain and intestinal pain, nerve pain, low back pain, and arthritic pain, probably due to an autoimmune condition. And it seemed like that started early on. And uh, this is back in 1934, when he was uh, 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did the research on uh, what they knew about uh, something like spastic colitis in uh, the early 1930s. And uh, it wasn't clear that they had uh, clear ideas of uh, how to treat this. And, uh, of course, it was uh, the advent of steroids, which became available in 1937, and they began treating him with the steroids. Uh, His father, of course, being Joseph Kennedy, one of the richest men in America, could afford uh, to purchase, buy those uh, new medications. But they didn't have a dose. And so, as my uh, several doctor friends who helped me with this uh, book and with the medical issues told me, uh, they overdosed. And the consequence was, uh, one of the major consequences was that he ended up with uh, all these back problems. Right. I mean, we know that he received steroids and that steroids over the long term can cause osteoporosis. And in fact, in JFK, it seems as though the osteoporosis led to collapse of his spine, and then that indeed led to the need for spine surgery. We need to take a break, but when we come back, we'll talk to Bob about the Cuban Missile Crisis. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, the global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Mylan Pharmaceuticals, one of the world's leading generic pharmaceutical companies. Discover why at Mylan, quality isn't just a claim, it's a cause we've made personal at seeinsidemylan.com. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives. Reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. Welcome back to the show. We're here talking about the pain of John F. Kennedy, 
with noted historian Robert Dalek. And Bob, let's consider the Cuban Missile Crisis. Do you feel that JFK's judgment was at all limited by his pain and all the treatments he was receiving to relieve it? Well, that's that, that's what I looked at. What I wanted to find out was, uh, did it in some way make him less uh, uh, qualified to deal with such a uh, monumental crisis? And he seemed to be so stoic yeah. and so capable of uh, living with it. Now, of course, he was on all sorts of uh, pain medications that uh, Janet Travell had been injecting his back with, and then uh, this uh, doctor will feel good uh, <laughs> was shooting him up with, uh, I guess it wasn't Novocaine, it was something akin to Novocaine that uh, they were injecting into his back. And his brother, Bobby Kennedy, said to him, you know, we don't know what the consequences are of uh, you're getting these injections. And he said to Bobby, I don't care if it's horse piss, Bobby. He said, it makes me feel better. <laughs> right. You know, but based on your research, Bob, it seems that he had a large degree of mental clarity and his judgment was intact during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yes. And I think as a consequence of the fact that he was on a quite a regular regimen of these medications. Absolutely. Are there any accounts from his family that his pain affected his personal life? Well, you know, people would ask me quite specifically, did it affect his uh, sexual functioning? Uh-huh. Because as we know, he was something of a sexual athlete. <laughs> he was quite a womanizer. One of the things I found out from my book was that he was having an affair with a 19, 20-year-old young woman. Mm who had been an intern at the White House and had been gone for a year and a half. And earlier this year, or rather last year in 2012, she published a book uh, called uh, Once Upon a Secret about her uh, affair with uh, Kennedy. It didn't seem to inhibit him from uh, having multiple partners. Well, I mean, despite his uh, sexual promiscuity, it really seems that he was in misery most of the time. Yes, one of the great ironies of all this is that he would wear a back brace mm-hmm. the day he was shot. He, of course, was wearing a back brace. Uh, it was a long day for him. He was uh, in this uh, limousine. The supposition is that the first bullet passed through his neck. And if he had not been wearing that back brace, it would have tipped him over. He would have been toppled by yeah. that. But because he was wearing the back brace, it held him erect enough so that Oswald was able to uh, find the back of his head with a second shot and killed him. Yeah, you know, I'm sure many people didn't know he was wearing a back brace. It seems also, though, that he could, for example, barely turn in bed and had problems reaching his sock and his shoe due to his pain. Uh, he sometimes would shower five times a day, apparently uh, bad, very warm water huh. would be an effective therapy for yeah. him. And uh, uh, I imagine he used a heating pad also. And of course, he had the famous rocking chair that uh, he found gave him some greater comfort. Now, you know, he had, uh, I think, two extensive surgeries on his back. Right. And uh, he was still suffering terribly at the end of his life. I mean, Bob, how is he even able to walk up and down stairs? Well, he had a hard time doing that. And there were points in his life when he uh, had to use crutches or had to be assisted. There are no photographs, essentially, which you would be able to tell that the man was uh, in terrible pain or that he was being helped up and down the stairs, wow. but he would brace himself. And I think he would essentially bite his lower lip mm. and come down those stairs and uh, negotiate it in front of cameras. 
that image making was so essential, was so important to them. And uh, he had the image of being youthful, robust, you know, uh, the idea that he played touch football. This was much exaggerated mm-hmm. because, you know, he, would, he didn't have that kind of mobility, right. uh, which came from wearing the back brace and uh, uh, from having all that uh, pain in his lower back. I'm glad you brought up image making because when we get back from the break, I'd like to discuss that more in depth. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. Horizon Pharma, a biopharmaceutical company that develops and commercializes innovative medicines to target unmet therapeutic needs in arthritis, pain, and inflammatory diseases. Welcome back. Uh, Bob, do you feel that the emphasis on physical fitness started during the Kennedy administration was a means of covering JFK's own struggles, or, or was it perhaps a way of expressing his desire for a life of vigor that he himself could never achieve? I think that puts it so well. We found out that he had been hospitalized nine times in the uh, 1950s, late 50s, uh, for a variety of uh, his ailments, one of them, of course, being the uh, terrible back pain he was suffering. Yes, but he was amazingly stoic and rarely revealed his level of discomfort. I wonder what his trusted advisors, Ted Sorensen, for example, who was his speechwriter and political advisor, and his brother, Bobby Kennedy, actually witnessed behind the scenes. There are very few reports. Early on, there was one of his pals who was in the Navy with him, saw him inject himself. And I think these were the steroids mm-hmm. that uh, he began taking. This was about 1943, 44, 45, somewhere in there. Ted Kennedy didn't know much about this. Ted Sorensen, who gave me access to the material, mm-hmm. he was angry that he had let me into these files because one of the things I said was that uh, he was heroic, he was courageous, stoic, but there was also a cover-up. He was hiding from the public because if the public knew how many problems he had, health problems he had, they probably never would have been elected in 1960. Remember, as it was, he was going to be the first Catholic and the youngest president ever elected. So to add to that uh, evidence or knowledge of his medical problems or medical history, so it was uh, very much kept under wraps. Bob, do we know to what extent they went to keep his medical ailments uh, concealed? He would go from one doctor to another because they didn't want one single doctor to know the full extent of his various ailments. Mm -hmm. You know, he had somebody for his Addison's disease and somebody to deal with his back problems. And uh, somebody had uh, uh, urethritis. Uh, He had terrible allergies. And uh, at one point, what I revealed in my book was that uh, Jackie Kennedy asked the allergist if he could give him something that would lift his spirits, and they gave him, and I can't remember the name of the drug, but at the time, it was sort of as an antipsychotic drug, but also uh, was a mood alternator. But he was only on it for two days. Huh. You know, but in retrospect, I wonder whether his performance as president, or was his performance as president, adversely affected by the many treatments he was getting for his pain? Well, that's what you know, everybody would like to know. And I tried to sort this out by looking at the greatest crisis he passed through, which was, of course, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. 
And there he seemed to rise to the challenge. Yeah. I couldn't find any clear evidence that uh, his performance was uh, significantly changed or reduced. And in point of fact, he was using opioids, specifically methadone, using steroids, getting injections into the muscles of his low back to help his chronic low back pain, taking vitamins, and using a lot of physical therapy. By many accounts, that's a large number of interventions, and yet he was able to perform at a high level as chief executive. Yeah, I, I think you're right. That's, if, if he didn't have these, uh, uh, this system of support, these various medications and uh, interventions, as you call uh -huh. them, uh, I don't know that he could have functioned. And also, of course, you can add the back brace that he wore. That's right. You know, Bob, do you think that today we would vote for a presidential candidate who had similar medical problems and treatments for continual pain, knowing that JFK was able to successfully lead the nation under those circumstances? Well, you know, it's a wonderful question. I think it would be a very dicey proposition yeah. because, you know, given, frankly, how nasty politics are, that uh, they would they would turn it against him. Uh, raise in some subtle way or not so subtle way to the question of whether they could function. Absolutely, I think you're right. And even today, is the public really aware of the medical condition of our president? Well, you see, it's a wonderful question. We're all entitled to the privacy of our medical history, except for someone who is running for president. Uh -huh. I think that we are entitled to know what their medical history is, and we should respond in sophisticated ways to that medical history. So I'm not saying, you know, we should uh, ferret out information that says this guy is uh, always on pain and we can't possibly have him in the White House. <laughs> because, as you know, we're saying here, John Kennedy managed it brilliantly. Right. And, you know, you're the expert on this. But uh, I imagine that nowadays uh, there are sufficient interventions to uh -huh help people cope with this kind of problem. Absolutely right. And, you know, Bob, I've always been curious about why Americans have such an enduring interest in Kennedy and his family. I mean, the Kennedy mystique. Yeah, it's a wonderful question. And in fact, I think he was a very determined uh, personality. In November 2010, there was a Gallup poll asking Americans to assess the last nine presidents from John Kennedy through George W. Bush. Kennedy came out with an 85% approval rate. Wow. The only one with inhaling distance of him was Ronald Reagan with 74%. Why is it that Kennedy, Reagan, I think the answer to it is that people have been so disillusioned with American politics and you start with Kennedy's assassination. I don't think the country has quite gotten over that yet. Then you go to the failure in Vietnam and Johnson's credibility gap. People were, were angry about uh -huh. that. And then, of course, you had Nixon and Watergate, and the only president in American history to be compelled to resign was being impeached. Uh, and then, of course, you had uh, Koreagate, and you had the Iran-Contra affair. You've had one thing after another. Uh -huh. Well, the country, the country wants a president to give them hope. They want optimism. And you see, Kennedy and Reagan, that's the function I think they uh, still play in the country's uh, political life. People are attached to this. They're drawn to it. And remember Obama's campaign at the start, Hope. And with Bill Clinton, he was the, the guy from Hope, Arkansas. Right. People want this. They want hope and optimism. 
And that's what I think Kennedy and Reagan uh, are still good people in this country. I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's something profoundly empowering about giving hope and inspiration to others. We've mentioned that Kennedy's legacy was that of an extraordinary person, someone who was charismatic, charming, and witty. It also seems that his accomplishments were extraordinary, given a life of pain. I think this conveys great hope, promise, and an expectation that life can get better with treatment. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. So it's not just the fact that Kennedy, with his rhetoric, but that his life becomes a kind of uh, standing example of what somebody can do, uh-huh. you know, reach extraordinary heights, as the same was true of Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, both these men achieving the presidency, despite uh, such a burden of health problems and of pain and difficulty. Definitely true. Dr. Robert Dalek, author of An Unfinished Life, John F. Kennedy, 1917 to 1963. Bob, thank you for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Aches and Gains is supported by Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. We have an email here from Shania in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Christo, I'm concerned about the addictive nature of some of the medicines prescribed to help alleviate pain. Do a lot of your patients express some of these concerns as well? That's a great question, Shania. Most of the concern centers on the risk of using opioids. We have two competing forces right now. One is the major undertreatment of pain, and the other is a rise in non-medical use of prescription medications, and those are mainly opioids. Patients, my patients do express a concern over the risk of addiction. And I tell them that the risk ranges pretty broadly from 3 to 40% or so. And, and that depends on their age, previous history of addiction, and family history of addiction, among other things. We first trial the medicine, that is the opioid, to determine if it's right for that person. We also do things like urine monitoring, risk assessments, opioid agreements, and pill counts to do our best to ensure that patients are taking the medication safely and properly. And here we have a question from Paul in Clearwater, Florida. Several months ago, I had pain on the inside of my right thigh above the knee, below the groin, and in the back of my thigh. My doctor thought it was sciatica and sent me to physical therapy. The therapist thought it was the hamstring muscles and did therapy accordingly. After numerous physical therapy treatments, the pain is mostly gone. But how do you know if the pain is from the hamstring or the sciatica? Well, Paul, that's a great question. One of the reasons back pain is the leading cause of disability in the world in people under 45 years of age is because it's very difficult to identify the source of pain. If one of the lower discs is causing sciatica, a good history and physical exam can detect it in over 80% of cases. Your symptoms will be pretty atypical for sciatica, though. A normal MRI or certain nerve tests that showed no abnormality would also suggest a non-spinal source of pain, such as hamstring muscle pain. But sometimes the best way to tell is by your response to treatment. 